The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! seem to get this to share every week it's something with facebook say, isn't it it's always something with facebook always we're almost ready nice. little on air production today as always. All right, we are up and cooking. Oh, I don't mind just a little. Should we get Vilma to do the Papa Buzz? Yeah. I like when everyone does the ba-ba-ba's. Kind of is a requirement now, isn't it? It is. It's coming. Here we go. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Here we go. Here it comes. Here it is. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Not bad, not bad. Not, not bad. Let's start the show, I guess. All right. <laughs> Was that the icebreaker? It was a good first. It was a it was a good first attempt. Hi, how you guys doing? My name is Tom Duggan here at the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, top two guys smoke shop at the Studio Twenty One Podcast Cafe. We've got a really interesting show for you today. Uh, We've got our our guest is, and I know I'm going to screw this up because you've changed your name now like thirty six thousand times, right? (laughs) So when I first met you about. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, feels so old. Stop aging yourself. Um, (laughs) She was Vilma Laura, and that's how people know her as Vilma Laura, so I've been calling her Vilma Laura on Facebook, and I hope that's not (laughs) offensive, but I just thought that would be a good way because most of the people that I know have been in this business a long time, and they know you as Vilma Laura. So I can change it if you want, but it's Vilma Laura's, Laura, no, it's not. It's Vilma Dominguez. Vilma Dominguez. Vilma Martinez Ma- Dominguez. Martinez Dominguez. Nice Irish name. And we, and, 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 and we appreciate her being here. Before we start, though, I have a couple of things I need to wrap up. Um, uh, I made a comment a couple of weeks ago uh, when Dave Consoli was here from Pleasant Valley Landscaping, one of our fine, fine advertisers, and we love him. Um, and he asked me, why is Joel Ferretra, the Methuen City Council, no longer writing for us? And I, it was just on the spot. I, I gave the answer off the top of my head, which turned out to be wrong. Um, he actually stopped writing for us because um, the, uh, he had family obligations and he doesn't like to write. And, oh. and, but it, all of that happened at the same time that we lost the other politicians. Right. And so when Dave asked me, like, geez, you know, I thought Joel would stay. And I said, yeah, I thought Joel would stay, too, because he wrote a food column, not a political column. Mm. So I thought, you know, I, I thought he'd stick around too, but we lost him, and and he he 
posted a comment that I saw after the show saying, no, no, Tom, don't you remember? It's because I hate to write. Uh, and he did say that. And I, and I offered him, too, like, if you want to just call me and tell me, uh, like, what you want your column to say, I'll write it. Yeah. And then I'll send it to you for approval. And we can at least keep, keep it in. And he was like, yeah, my family. And he's, he's got a couple of daughters, too, right now. Then, you know, they're all in school. So the other thing is I also made a mistake. I always like to correct my mistakes, especially at the beginning of the show. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. <laughs> um, I made, you know, how, you know how my brain is, is uh, my mouth is always ahead of my brain. Yes. Right? Because I talk way too fast. Yep. Um, I made a comment about Steve Whipple from um, Methuen Life. And I was really talking about Tim Wood from oh. Methuen Loop Weekly. And although Steve didn't call me to complain and nobody that knows Steve called me to complain, I did correct it in the comments like while we were still on the air because I realized what I said. Uh, but I do want to apologize to Steve Whipple if anybody heard that. I was not talking about Steve Whipple. I was talking about Tim Wood from the now defunct Methuen Life. Um, okay, so to my left, we have uh, a great guest today. She's been a community activist for a long time. She's been on, she was on the Mayor's Health Task Force for a while. I think that's when we used to kind of bump into each other and all of those things. Um, and she's also worked on a number of campaigns. I know she's supported uh, a number of people for mayor in the, in the past and city council in the past. And now she's running for mayor. So Vilma... Martinez Dominguez, did I get it right? It. You got is it. Is right. here with here on. Uh, <laughs> well so, done. So why don't you just start off by telling people? Because, and by the way, I, I got some some smart smarmy emails from people last week, saying, "Why did you give Brian DePena a free pass on this issue? Why didn't you hit him on that issue when he was there?" And just to let you know, like kind of how the format of this show goes, when a candidate comes in for the first time, it's not for me to debate them. It's not for me to to tell them that they, I think they're wrong about an issue, is to let you, the audience, get to know who they are and let them get their message out. Now, if they come back, if they come back after that, then we can, we can debate what they think about the schools or if I think they're wrong about global warming or whatever else the issue is. Right. Um, but I, I, don't, I, don't, um, I don't want people to think like I'm giving anybody a free pass. Any candidate that comes back after this, if it's a debate or they just want to come back and talk issues, that's the time to debate. But the first time is for them to get their message out. So why don't you introduce yourself uh, to people uh, who might not know who you are. Tell them who you are and why you're running for mayor. Excellent. So thank you so very much for the opportunity to be on this show. Uh, before I forget, to my left is Evan Silverio, who's my campaign chair. Evan, who, by the way, before yeah. you finish, <laughs> is the son of Julia Silverio, who okay. sat on the, on the Lawrence City Council. And ran for mayor at one point. Mm -hmm. I think I actually hosted a debate with your mom. <laughs> and tell her that I said hello, because we've always kind of been on the opposite sides of stuff, but I've never disliked her personally. She's a very nice person. <laughs> I will. I will let her know that you said hello, Tom. Please, and I wanted yeah. to make sure I said that publicly. <laughs> Thank you. Be because you know what? In this, in this business, people take things personal sometimes. And my, in my business, I can't do that. Like even, even if I have bad feelings about somebody, somebody or something, you have to separate it because it's politics. And you're not always going to agree, right? So whatever we agree, we disagree and we stay friends. Absolutely. Right. I think that that's the beauty of democracy, right? Yeah, right. So thank you so very much again. And, and this is a pleasure for me to be here because oh, okay. as you mentioned, I've been in the city for close to 30 years and I've been doing a lot of work in the last, God Lord, almost three decades, mostly as an activist, as you mentioned, everybody knows me as Vilma Lora. Uh, and that's how I, I basically... Um, how did you say that? Vilma, Vilma Lora. Vilma Lora. Okay. Lora. Lora. <laughs> I'll get it. Um, and my professional life was really, it was under that name. Uh, and I married about five years ago, so I'm really happy about that. Um, I am a um, 
daughter of uh, Dominican Puerto Rican parents, born in this country and raised uh, outside of the country, returning at the age of this, of 17. And we moved to Lawrence, and Lawrence is the place that opened up their doors for us. It became our, our piece of community, really. It's, it's where we feel like a sense of belonging. And this is where I've raised my kids, you know, worked you know, worship, and have served the community. And I've served the community for about 25 years working at the YWCA. That, that's how many people know that's me. That's right, I remember. Uh, and I did a lot of work with the most vulnerable people in our community, you know, survivors of domestic sexual violence, uh, uninsured uh, cancer survivors. And um, I knew pretty soon that programs are great, but they just touch a, person, a person's life at a time. And so uh, when we created the Mayor's Health Task Force, which we co-founded, is within the city government right now. And it's the only one like that in the, in the United States, by the way. They have others, um, others, communities who have called us about that. We knew that we had to do root cause analysis and we needed to change the status quo. And that has only changed when you change systems and you create policies. And so through that work and through my previous work, I had the opportunity to work with many of the uh, state, you know, federal delegation members, um, city council and other leaders locally. And then um, understanding, you know, I work within city government actually for 11 years um, in a consultant, you know, um, in a consult as a consultant initially, and then in the last four years, I'm actually the community development director for the city. Okay. And so I've worked with. Us. So you're, you're the you're the you're the Lawrence's community development director. Absolutely. So I should have been hitting you up for ads much sooner than this. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. <laughs> so basically, um, in this capacity, I've been able to, to uh, manage, we're managing about $40 million of uh, federal, state, and private funds uh, to support anything that has to do with the quality of life mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, of our community. And uh, that's done through the creation and preservation of housing, you know, public infrastructural improvements, uh, supporting small businesses as they start or expand, uh, supporting nonprofits, and also uh, Overseeing, uh, creating new uh, first-time home buyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the LED program, you know, that we secure about five million dollars last year, and then also the mayor's health task force. So I've, I've come full circle, and I think that uh, my slogan is "Right time, right choice" for a reason. Right time for the city because I think the city is in a pivotal, you know, sort of moment where we have been hit really hard by um, by the gas explosion. We're still dealing with the aftermath, right? And then, and COVID. by the way, I remember. The day after the Columbia gas explosion, because I was actually there taking pictures and videos mm-hmm. of the explosions that night, and went out the next morning, mm-hmm. and I ran into you at the senior center, mm-hmm. and you were there coordinating, yes. getting food donations and water donations and clothing donations, mm-hmm. and coordinating with the people that would donate, which is not an easy thing. I watched TMF do it. It's not an easy thing. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> coordinating, getting the people who want to give the money or mm-hmm. give the donations of food and clothing to the people that actually need it and then screening people to make sure that they're actually yes. the people that need it. And, and, and I want to thank you for that because at that time, there were a lot of people willing to help, but not a lot of people that had the organization skills to jump in and say, okay, here's how we need to do this. And you were one of those few people that did that. Well, there's no need to thank. I mean, that's what leadership is about, right? Mm-hmm. Leadership is about stepping up at the right moment at the right time. And all the time. Right. And so that time in particular in our lives, who is expecting a gas explosion? I mean, it, it's, it was something so like out of this world. I, I remember just, just thinking about it the night before we were sitting, we were, we, uh, we were opening the emergency shelter at the Partham School. And it was just so surreal. Mm-hmm. Next day, you know, all these people impacted, all these businesses uh, impacted. And we were able to work. I mean, I think that's what's the beauty about Lawrence. And one of the reasons I want to do this in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Lawrence comes together. 
It doesn't matter what happens. We all come together. And to see how quickly we all came together and we lend our talent, our treasure, our time to make sure that our city gets the support that it needs. And it, it and we thought we were done. I mean, we worked for months on that. I mean, we're still dealing with some of that. Mm-hmm. But then COVID hit. Right. And so COVID hit, um, for me in my role, both as a, as, a, as a resident, as someone who lives in the city, has vested interest in my city, and as a community development director, we had to act really quickly. So CARES Act money came in, uh, and, and the mayor then, uh, and the mayor now, had to rely on, on my knowledge about this federal funds. How do you use these funds? And we're able to quickly sort of depopulate some of the, the, um, the, the housing. I mean, we have a very densely populated housing, mm-hmm. um, a densely populated community. And we were able to open up three shelters. The first shelter that opened up in, in the state was Lawrence's. And that was just for people just to be able to quarantine and have a safe space to be. And we were able to work work on that and work also with those unsheltered individuals. They had no place to go. And so we worked with a state uh, delegation and created this regional shelter in Methuen. And I was able to work with vendors and put it together really quickly so that we can have that population also have a safe space um, to be at. And actually it was great because we're able to test sort of this housing first option. Mm -hmm. Well, how that work? And so I'm always, uh, as you, as you will see, housing and the housing crisis are my primary platform just because it is, both something that I've seen and lived. I mean, when we came here, every experience, anybody that moves to a new place with little resources ends up living in double up, triple up housing, right. ends up living in really poor quality housing, has transportation issues, has, you know, limited access to healthy foods, has very low paying jobs, you know, childcare, you know, half of my check went to childcare. Like all these issues, I lived it. And, but my family was able to, to uh, come out of that. Right. And now, you know, we have our college degrees and now we have a home and we know that resources exist. But if we don't create equal access to these opportunities for everyone, not just for, for a few, then we can't create a vibrant community. And that's always been the lens, be it with a shelter, be it with anything else. And then we have the eviction now. Today I was um, asked about um, my thoughts around the housing eviction, the moratorium. Uh, um, eviction moratorium, uh, which may end soon. And, and we have many of our families who may be f- facing eviction, mm-hmm. uh, thousands actually, <laughs> uh, for non-payment or rent because they have been directly impacted by COVID. Right. And, um, you know, I've been pushing for policy and I've been pushing for system change. I've been pushing for more um, resources for our city. Um, and I knew that this was going to be a case. And uh, for our regional, um, we have a regional legal aid organization who's at a capacity. And so we're able to also allocate funding just so that we can actually provide eviction prevention and intervention and tenant rights information to our Lawrence residents mm-hmm. who need it. So I've always had, and that's just an example, but in my life, the work, the way I've done my work has always been through that lens of equity and justice. And so I think that that's the one different thing that I bring to the table that I am not a politician by training, but I know that only as a poli- you know in the political realm can we actually influence change for the benefit of those most vulnerable. If you ele- elevate the most vulnerable, then you elevate the entire community. Mm-hmm. And so, how do we invest in a way that makes sense, that is just? And that's the other thing I want to be able to see because sometimes we think about you know we have eleven neighborhoods. I think it is. They change all the time. But we always, in, and at city council is always advocating for equal distribution of funding, which I think is great because each city councilor needs to uh, fight for their own district. Right. But it's more about how do we invest, be, better invest the funds that we're receiving right now 
in a way that makes sense, in a way that is just, in a way that elevates the, those neighborhoods that are mostly impacted, and also really uh, administer those funds correctly so mm-hmm. that we don't waste it. And we don't want the state here again. The state was here. We had state oversight for almost nine years. Right. Um, and they left very clear um, recommendations, which really brought us to the point where we're now, you know, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And we have to be very cautious how we use all these resources. I mean, money is coming down the pipes to, at a rate that um, it is so hard for you to think about how we're going to implement this money when the need is, it's, it's so real and mm-hmm. it's there. Um, and so, you know, there's something like 40, $41 million coming from the American Rescue Fund. And there was an earmark that came in for emergency rental assistance. Then there were like $2 million that came out for emergency rental assistance. That doesn't include the raft and the other programs. So we're all just struggling to figure that out. And that can only be done by, you know, first of all, understanding how that's the, the parameters of those funders, of those, that funding. Second, figuring out how the, the, how do the, what are the needs. How do we best invest this money? And third, how do we capitalize this? Meaning, how can we match this money with other sources of funding so that we can actually maximize the impact of the funding? So I was just looking to see if we had any questions. If anybody who's watching has any questions, you want to uh, ask a question on the feed, I'll ask it of uh, Vilma Martinez Dominguez, formerly Vilma Laura. <laughs> there you go. go. There you go. <laughs> I probably won't get it right again, so enjoy that. We'll have <clears> you just bounce me just up oh, just, a, just a tad sure. there, Chrissy. So one of the t- hot topics on this show... Mm-hmm. It is and has been for the last few years the failure of the teachers and administrators in the Lawrence schools to give Lawrence kids a, a adequate education. I look at kids in Andover and North Andover. The white kids in Andover and North Andover are getting a much better education than the Latino kids are in Lawrence. And I know that there's more than just Latino kids in Lawrence, but it's majority Latino. <clears throat> and to me, it seems as though, for and I sat on the school committee for three years, um, it seems it seemed that Lawrence cried forever that we can't do this, we can't educate this population because they're poor, they come from bad neighborhoods, there's crime in the neighborhoods, and we don't have the resources. But Lawrence has gotten well over a billion dollars in the last 20 to 30 years for their schools, and they're giving a, a, a substandard education. Kids are getting a worse of an education now than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago, which to me says... Resources is, are not uh, are not the issue. Resources aren't the problem. Certainly, it's not because white kids are smarter than Latino kids. It's not that Mm-mm. Latino kids are dumber than white kids. But I see Andover and North Andover spending less than half of what Lawrence spends, and Lawrence can't seem to educate their kids properly so that they understand the Constitution. They know how to do math. Um, they they know how to balance a checkbook. You know, they 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 understand the basics of life, and and I. I don't put it on the people of Lawrence that they're not getting the education. I put it on the, the teachers and the administrators who go in every day and teach these kids about abortion, global warming, transgender bathrooms, and all the social issues. But they don't know the first thing about the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. They don't understand freedom of the press. The, the, I pulled up to Wendy's the other day, and my, my, um, my bill came to $10.25, and I handed her a 20 And after she rang it in, I found a quarter and gave it to her, expecting her to give me back a 10 and I stood there and watched the corpuscles in her head explode trying to figure out how to do the math because now she had to give me something different than what the register said. And I asked her, I said, you know, what did you go to school? Not to degrade her, but what did you go to school? And she said, well, I graduated from Lawrence High last year. And again, I'm not going to say anything to her because it's not her fault. But this kid went through the Lawrence public school systems and can't, you know, can't deduct 20, 25 from, you know. Well, you can't compare school systems because the socioeconomic factors are very different. 
there's also the density of the of the of uh, the school system, right? So there's close to 13,000 kids enrolled in the Lawrence Public School Systems in 26 schools. Then you look at uh, newcomers and new immigrants, which come in in, in ebb and flows. I mean, 90%, I think, of the of the population in the school system, it's uh, Latino. And then you look at language as a, a no, I think it's something like 70% or 60 or 70% of the population, the language is not English. Mm -hmm. That's not the primary language. Then you look at income. And we know that between wealth and education, it's the greatest determinant of your upward mobility, economic, you know, mobility and, and better health. I mean, this is what I taught my whole life. So you cannot, it's not apples to apples that we're comparing here. We have a, an urban school system that's very different. Uh, there are so many factors that go into play here. The school system, I don't know how many students are in both Andover, again, in, in, in North Andover, wherever else, but this is an urban, primarily immigrant school in a community that it's the second lowest, you know, earning, you know, lowest earners in the state where most of the people are coming in here. We have a lot of immigrants. So you cannot compare those two things. Um, now, the school is under receivership, and we've seen some increases, some changes. As far as, as uh, data is concerned, I think that the number of students who are graduating is greater. They have seen they're closing the, the academic gap a little bit uh, more. Uh, but there are other things that go into play. So how do you teach? You cannot teach from the same book to different kids. History is the same thing, but how do you interpret that information? And how do you, how do you communicate that to, to, to students who come from a different background? I mean, look at, I never went to school here. I went to college here. So I went to school in uh, Dominican Republic through second grade. Then my family moved again to Puerto Rico, third grade. Then I went back to Dominican Republic, fourth through sixth grade, uh, fourth grade. Then fifth through 10th, I went to two different schools in Puerto Rico and then finished my high school in Dominican Republic. Wow. Imagine me, and now I come in here, I, come, I return to the United States at the age of 17 with no language. I didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. So I have several barriers that I have to, that are working against me, against the odds. And I think that that's what the school system needs to understand. Do we have teachers who understand this reality of our students? That's the question to be asked. But they seem to have no problem getting through to that same population. All the information you could possibly imagine about global warming, abortion, gay marriage, transgender bathrooms, um, all of the social issues, these kids are very smart kids and they're very well versed because they're on my page, on Facebook page every day debating me about every issue, right? Because I'm the big racist. Because they should. Because I'm, the big, because I'm the big racist because I don't agree with them on a political oh, right. issue, right? But I like to engage with them anyway because I, I like to pick their brain and find out where they're coming from and where they get their information. So the schools have no problem doing a really good job at educating these kids about social issues, but it doesn't seem like they do a very good job at educating them about math, language, History, social studies, science, and 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 I hear your answer, and this is not the place to debate it. But, no, no, no. But yeah, we but, are debating it. But, <laughs> but I, I hear your answer. But so I guess my question is: Do you not put any any of the failures of the Lawrence schools in the last ten years or more on the administrators and the teachers? Even if we did. What do, what good is that going to do us? Well, I think it's well, you looking could, you, you forward. You can set goals for them and no, make them keep those which goals. Is, and Which is the turnaround plan. Right. The turnaround plan exists. 
the turnaround plan exists. You've seen schools coming out of, you know, being on, uh, from the, being underperforming, you know, from underperforming now to like back online. So you have to also look at those things. Things have happened since the state receivership has mm-hmm. been here. Now, there has to be a point and a clear plan for us to regain control of our school system, which is the other thing. I mean, there's a lot of dis- like a disconnect, and we can talk about that probably in a future uh, um, visit. But I think that it's it's more complex than that, and and I'm hoping that with a Student Opportunity Act funds that came down the pipes. I think it's something like twenty million. Or more more money. Yeah. Well, it's specific. It has to be tied to how you're going to close. Like, it has to be based on evidence based practices over three years. That's, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Yes. I'm looking for results because mm-hmm. you could be you could work at a GM plant and you could be a great worker and your workers could put extra time in every day and buy widgets out of their own pocket for the machines when they break down. But if the car comes off the assembly line and it doesn't work. You did a terrible job. No matter how much work you put in, how much time you put in, how much you care about the people that you work with, you still did a terrible job. So I look at the results of the kids graduating, especially those who come on my page and really have really literally no concept of what the free press is. One kid from Lawrence High School came on my page yelling and screaming and and, and attacking me um, because I was at at the scene of of, of an accident and I took a picture of them doing CPR on a guy. And apparently they knew the family member and they came on and they said, you didn't have the family's permission. They're going to sue you. And I just simply asked, like, what makes you think that something that happens in public, I need anyone's permission to take their picture and put it in the newspaper? Are you familiar with the second, with with the First Amendment? Amendment. And they said, no, that's freedom of religion. Like, so this is a kid, again, it's in Lawrence High School that doesn't have the basic information. And I don't blame the kid at all. I, I blame the system that... You know, once I once I delved into gay marriage and global warming, I had a three hour conversation with this kid on Facebook, and they were very well versed in it. Didn't know the yeah, didn't know the I, constitution. I, you know, that I mean, just I'm sure we, we want to talk about something else. But <laughs> as far as education is concerned, we also have to understand that there are gaps and there are yeah. disparities, and those disparities came became very apparent when COVID hit. Yeah, many of the students had no access to computer, even when they had access to computer, they had no access to broadband and internet, and even in that case where they had to be learning from home, parents were working. I mean, the challenges for different communities are very different. So we have to take all those things into consideration because it is a very complex uh, situation and for, for and, and as such deserves a complex strategy. So an education is something that I've, you know, it's one of the things in my platform. And I don't think it is just about education, but it's expanding opportunities for youth. You know, how do we get youth involved in youth, you know, career opportunities and mentorships and internships uh, that can actually open up the doors for them? When we had uh, the Lawrence Youth Council at the Mayor's Hotel Task Force, we we ran it as a pilot for like four or five years. And we took, you know, juniors and seniors, primarily from Lawrence High, and just picked the brain and, and did a lot of leadership development and talked about social justice and inequities in our city and forced them to think outside the box and to think about issues that were impacting them. And we got to take them to, you know, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Like, they got exposed to other things. Right. We had them working with researchers doing door-to-door surveys. So it's about also how do we also provide alternatives for our youth and other venues so that they can expand their, their world. Um, but it, it's that. It's our public safety. You know, it's our public health. I mean, COVID, it's interesting. I've had, we, we founded the, the Mayor's Hotel Task Force in 2002. And... 
I have to give Milagro Guyon uh, props because she really was the one who started thinking about health and government and, and work with community action, with the family health center to start the conversations. But it was, uh, you know, afterwards where we started to expand it. And it was always like this sort of this, this, this freestanding thing, you know, it's like this quasi, you know, nonprofit. What are you? Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah. And, and then your public health department that used to have five nurses in the, I think 2007. And right now the population has tripled. <laughs> we have one public health nurse. Right. And it was, you know, we fought, you know, we did a studies. The other thing that I do is data. I'm very data driven. Uh, I think that that's what's important because that's the only way you're going to know how you're going to better invest, uh, how you're going to really create impact and how you're going to get results. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, it took COVID to happen to all of a sudden, Oh, health and housing are connected. <laughs> Health and economic development is connected. It's all connected. Health and, and small businesses are connected. I'm like, duh, that's what I've been saying from day one. And so um, to see that we have worked together, even with inspectional services on other departments, and see that today inspectional services has changed the name of their inspectors to health and safety, um, I think it's health and safety um, officers or something like that. Um, and to see them work so closely with health and human services. And now the mayor's health task force is going to go under it. And we, I think we just learned yesterday that we got like the city got like a million dollar grant to, to still do COVID response that my team, you know, our team put together that proposal. Like what I'm saying with this is that public health, public safety, and that includes public infrastructure, that includes trash, that includes beautification. I mean, all those things are equally important. And are those, the, those are the things that in my conversations, people bring up the most. Housing, public safety when it comes to, tra and public health. Trash, police, crime, all, those are the same things. So I want to be able to, to uh, still address those um, quality of health, uh, quality of life issues with our community, but outside the box. Right. I think it's important that we bring innovation. How do I bring innovation? So I have been part, I had the opportunity to be exposed to so many things through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. I've traveled all over the country um, and through our research projects to understand other projects, you know, other things that are happening, like a homelessness issue, which is a very difficult issue to solve because it's so complex. But I've seen what San Antonio, Texas has done. Mm -hmm. I've seen what other communities have done, like Detroit, Michigan. And so it is, I have been able to establish connections in all those places that we can actually bring those resources. That's what I've done the best. One of the things that has always frustrated me about Lawrence is I hear you say how complex some of these issues are. Mm -hmm. And then I try to talk to politicians about solving an immediate need and they want to get to the root causes, which could take years. In the meantime, can we give the guy a sandwich, right? Can we, can we find a way mm -hmm. to get them blankets when it's cold outside? And it's one of the reasons why I got involved with TMF is because they didn't wait for politicians to put a program together. They just said, hey, the guy's hungry now. Let's go get some food and feed him. The guy's cold now. Let's go see if we can get some blanket donations and go give it to them. And what I'm looking for, and I think what a lot of people are looking for from our elected leaders, is that same attitude. That, mm -hmm. yes, we have to care about the root causes, as you talked about, but how do, we, how do we handle the immediate need along the way? Is there a way TMF can go back to the bus station so they have a, a, the overhang? Mm -hmm. I know Dan Rivera threw them out because he didn't want people to see homeless people being fed in downtown in, 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 in the middle of the city because it was a bad image for the city. But people seeing it would come on my Facebook page and say, hey, I saw that you were out there feeding the... Hey, I've got some blankets if you need it, or I've got some food that I can donate. And it actually helped having it there. 
and and Dan threw us out. We're looking we're looking to go back. Okay. If, so is that possible? This is well, you gotta remember that is not a city owned property. It is the the transportation. You know, it belongs to the Merrimack Valley Trans- Transit Authority. So that is one of the things. Second, I want to say is, believe me, I'm the one who advocated to create the Homelessness Initiatives Coordinator position. It took me a while. Mm-hmm. And we were able to do that because we were able to negotiate $2.5 million for Lawrence General and align the community health needs assessment with this. Oh, housing instability and homelessness is something that you can... How about you fund this? Because we wanted to have someone not do case management because I think this person is seen as the case manager of the city. There's no way that one human being can attend 250 people who are in shelter and close to 100 kids who are couch surfing. It goes without saying. But what that person could do is better coordinate services. Each one of us has a role to play. TMF has a role to play. You know, the, the homeless shelters have a role to play. The, the uh, soup kitchens or whatever you want to call it. Have a, everybody has a role to play. The city, the municipality doesn't have to play that role, but we can certainly support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things we've done, like right before I left on vacation, I'm on vacation this week and then I want to be taking some time off. But How, how dare you? Well, you want me to win this thing? I got to take time. <laughs> <laughs> we just came uh, came up with a very simple, you know, palm card that maybe when, you know, the police gets called, when they're doing the rail trail walks, or, they can at least hand them out. Because many of those uh, homeless individuals, some of them are ready to move on and most of them are not. I agree with that. Right? And then that. so it's instead of, you know, calling us every two seconds, you got to also put some of it on them. Absolutely. And so um, first time I went, I said, no, I want to experience this. And I walked it. Uh, with the police and, and members of the planning department. And actually, I took names of probably 12 individuals. And I went up to their tents and I said, what happened to you? What happened to you? Mm-hmm. And the responses were so many. Mm-hmm. And yeah, We've got people who are there because they I just got out of prison and then there's yes. nowhere else to go. We have people, we have one guy that, that um, was a star hockey player for uh, a really good college was getting recruited to the NHL, got into a really bad car accident, went on opioids. And now he's addicted. They got him addicted, then they cut him off, which these these bastard Mm -hmm. doctors have done to create Mm -hmm. this problem. Mm -hmm. And so he turned to heroin to try Mm -hmm. and manage the pain. And now he's sleeping in a tent over at Manchester Park. And he's not ready. Like, we talked to him about trying to get him into transitional housing. Mm -hmm. How can we... He's not ready. He's just not ready. Yeah, and you also have a gentleman that I ran into who's been there 13 years. No mental health, no, I mean, apparent, because I'm not a clinician, but no apparent mental health, no addiction, healthy. And he said to me, this is where I feel comfortable. And you look at his tent, his tent is clean, mm-hmm. and he's clean, mm-hmm. and he's happy, and I'm like, what do you do for that? And and and, you, and people were like, no, you need to find him a place to go. I'm like, no, he's an adult. Right. And this is about choice. And what we have to it's do is be available. It's about helping the people that want the help. Be and ready. Right. So when they're ready to say, help me, that we can connect them. And that's what I've been able to do. We have the Emergency Solutions Grant that we have tried to, you know, use to do rapid rehousing with these individuals. And we have been doing it. But that takes, you know, how many hours of my homelessness initiatives coordinator to find a, uh, an apartment that's going to rent to that population who ha- may have poor credit, who may not, you know, not have a job, not make enough, and then look at the cost of rent right now. Right. And then you wonder why there's so much illegal housing, illegal rooming, and all these things. So I think that out of everybody that's running, I'm the only one who 
sort of has that deep understanding about the housing crisis and what are some of the things that we need to do and has been with, you know, partnering with, with, with people that make sense. Like we had a rental cost task force that I would love to revive because it was helpful at bringing people to the table to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what I want to do is come bring people. And that's why I've been done doing all my life based on partnerships is how we actually think, come up with creative solutions, creative funding, creative partnerships, creative programming, creative policies. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to be able to do if given the opportunity by our community, our voters, because... Remind people when election day is. That's absolutely. the biggest barrier. September 21st is election day. September 21st. Please don't stay home and feel comfortable. You know, if you have your candidates saying, no, they got this. No, there's five of us. Right. Uh, six have pulled papers. Five have submitted their signatures. Yeah. And so, and then you have a variety of candidates. Except that the one thing that I want to add to this, and it's not the reason why I'm running, but I think that representation matters, right? 80% of our population is Latino, even though I'm going to be a mayor for everybody, because that's why you get elected to serve everybody. I'm not just talking about race or gender or age or ability or income. It's everyone that lives within those seven mile radius mm -hmm. and 51% is female. And The last time we had a female mayor was 21 years ago, and there has never been a Latina mayor in the state nor the city. And so it's his story. Latino, female, female, female mayor, but no, yes, excuse me. I didn't want you getting any Latino, female. Because <laughs> trust True. me, after yes, this show, yes, you're going to yes, get yes, some. Yes, 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 you're right. Thank you. Stand corrected. Uh, Latino female mayor, right. and which is causing a lot of attention nationally. Uh, and it's, it's bringing a lot of different support. So mm -hmm. I want to be able to win this with, first of all, transparency. Second of all, letting people know, yes, this is my first political, you know, uh, attempt, uh, my first attempt at, at, at a political seat, but it's not my first time working with politicians. Mm -hmm. I have done it for years and I know how it works. <laughs> um, and I would love to have the opportunity to, to be sitting in that chair and then, you know, as an activist, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a homeowner, as a person of faith, as a person who's been in this community serving our most vulnerable, as a person who has managed millions of dollars, I want to be able to say, you know what, I have nothing to do. Right time, right choice. I'm done. My youngest graduated college Three months ago, mm -hmm. I'm done raising kids. I'm done, you know, paying for school. Isn't it wonderful? I'm done paying for school. Isn't it wonderful once they're out of the house? <laughs> he's not out of the house. No, he's not. No, he's, 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 no, no, because he just graduated. He needs to find a job, but he graduated. You know, trust me, Babs, it's wonderful once they're Babs out of the house. Babson College, which is a very good college. I'm saying, I'm hoping that all that investment is going to get you a job. <laughs> no, but all kidding aside, the Valley Patriot could use an advertising director. So if you'd like to do advertising, please let he me know. He does uh, product management. He's okay. interested in product management. We've, got, we've only got a minute left, so if you could just touch yes, for a quick minute. Absolutely. We didn't talk about the police department. Um, it was yes. under a lot of turmoil under Mayor Lantigua. Dan mm -hmm. Rivera came on board, made some changes that made a lot of people unhappy, but it seems to be working out. We have a, we have a, I'm call, still calling him a new chief, even though he's been here for five years, Roy mm -hmm. Vasque. What are your thoughts on, on the direction of the police department? How would you handle it? It should be going the same direction it's going. I think that we need to amplify our community policing efforts. I think they're working. I think that the police and we need to change the narrative and the relationships between the police and the community. And I think that continued investment in that is important. Continue to diversify our police department. It's also important, not only by race, but by gender. Uh, I think that um, 
really uh, establishing relationship. I saw the police department. We've been talking about this for a long time because it was a model that I saw in San Antonio about mental health, incorporating a mental health um, uh, team within the police department because the police is called for everything and right. it shouldn't be. Right. That should be specific things. It turns so out I that think, they have yeah. to be the kid's parent, the kid's teacher, the yes, kid's social no, that worker. that needs to change. Right. Yeah, right. that needs to change. So that's one of the things. But just remember, September 21st, if you want to reach me, it's 978-609-6418. We're at... 276 Essex Street. Uh, if you want to be part of this movement, come call. We need phone banking people. We need, you know, door knockers. If you want to see me, see me in that chair, you got to, we, we all are working really hard and I have an amazing, ama- when I say amazing, amazing team behind me. Well, it uh, comes from good stock. Well, first Latina counselor, right? First Latina city counselor was right. Julia. But it's not just me. The, t- the whole team. Yeah. The yeah. whole team right. is putting in the work. Well, it's good to have, yeah. it's good to have brain power behind you though, right? Yes. And he t- talks so much that, you know. <laughs> All right, listen, uh, I appreciate you being here. Will you come back? Absolutely. Did you have fun? Because I will debate you on the school thing. I really want to go toe to toe. You saw, we, I got a taste. We, we did I well. Know. We did well, I, I think, right? I, I agree. I can take it. I agree. <laughs> But, handle but I'd love to have you back, and hopefully, when we're doing the debates, it will act, the show will actually go a full hour, which would be great. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, which I didn't do at the beginning of the show because I wanted to give Vilmer as much time as we could. Thank McLennan you. Real Estate Century Two. You can roll up Mel to it while I'm doing this. Okay. Uh, uh, McLennan Real Estate uh, Century Twenty One in Methuen. We love them. AFC Urgent Care was talking to Lisa Williams this morning. She wants to come back on the show next week, so she'll probably be here. Marcy and Ann Son Construction. Weather's getting nice. This is a good time to get your, uh, you know, your, your roof renovated or you need a new porch. EIS investigation and gun training. Borelli's Deli, where I go for all my deli meats right after the show. It's amazing. And by the way, tortellini salad, uh, oh, my God. I know. Oh, oh my, oh my <laughs> God. The best I've ever tasted. Tomo, which is a hibachi place right down the street. We love them. Clear Path for Veterans, New England. And, of course, our friend Dave Consoli at Pleasant Valley Landscaping. He's only taking jobs for what now? What does that say he's taking jobs for? Uh, Lawn renovations and planting jobs only. Only, only. So he's booked up on everything else. And so please call. stop calling Dave and giving him a hard time about the ad (laughs) on the show, please. I'd appreciate that. Uh, We're not sure what we're going to do next week. I think Lisa Williams will be back with us. But it sounds like... It sounds like Melvin Taylor says we got to go home. That's what he said. So, we, <laughs> so why don't you go home already? Thank you Thank so much. Thank you very in. much. Let's Thanks. change the narrative of Thank our you. city. Right. Come on. <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio Twenty One Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners, or affiliates.